this uh, sermon series that we're doing is called Clear Vision, and we're talking about our vision statement, our mission statement at Marin Covenant Church, where there's clear vision about what it is that we are about. Um, my wife and I, we actually, um, Linda and I, we cleaned windows for a living for a while. Any, anybody window cleaner here? Window cleaning is a really cool job. Are, yeah. So, the, you know, you're like, yeah, you're the window cleaner in your house is what you're saying. Yeah. We, we did it for a living. And it was like, I, I was in high school when I learned and I was hired by a maintenance company. And so I had, they trained me how to wash windows and I had accounts and I would drive the Ford Pinto is a 72 uh, Pinto wagon that I would take from the maintenance company and I would put the stuff in the back and I would go down to some street in you know, East 14th in Oakland or whatever and I would walk down and, and I had accounts that I would wash their windows. And I was always, it was such a fun job because people loved it when the window washer came because it was so dirty and so, you know, the windows would get all nasty and kind of fogged over and and then when you cleaned the windows, like you know what clean windows are like in your house, right? When you've gone way too long, Without cleaning your windows, then what happens? It's like, duh. like it's beautiful out there. Like I can see clearly, and I know what's why I moved here, and I love looking outside. I loved it. Other than the guy who like you know drained the porta potties, I was like the hero for everybody because when I left, they were like, it's so much better. We actually, Linda and I, a couple summers, we did that. We would go knock on doors. This is like during grad school. We would go knock on doors at like high end neighborhoods and bid the jobs because people love having their windows clean because then they can see outside and they know what's that. Like this is what I love about this house and what I love about this view. So we'd go into people's houses and it was super fun as a young married couple because Linda was developing her style. So she'd wander around the, their houses, uh, actually, and looking at things. People, people leave you alone, to, you know, if it takes four hours to wash the windows in their house, and, you know, they'd leave for the afternoon or whatever, and Linda would enjoy uh, checking it out. You know people do that to your home when you're not there, right? <laughs> One time I caught her with scissors cutting off the end of the tassel of a little throw rug because she liked the color mixture and wanted to keep that as, to, as a palette, you know, that she could remember. I'm like, are you really cutting off some? You know people are doing that in your house when you're not home, right? <laughs> But I love the concept. I love being a window cleaner, man, because things just got all sense. Like I can see now, and I can maximize what it is that this window was placed here for. That's the idea of clear vision. We want to be people in our church who can see clearly what we're about, know where we're headed, so that we can maximize all that God's done to bring us here, to establish us, to bless us the way He has. And now we want to return to Him to be the people He wants us to be. So, what's that vision? What's the clarity of vision? Well, as you know, we, t we uh, painted that on the wall in our church, our vision statement, and we began our series last week talking about this phrase over here, to engage with the spiritually hungry. Does some of you remember that by heart? Marine Coven Church exists. Ready? Say it with me. To engage with the spiritually hungry. Just that part. Just, do you know that? Let's do it one more time. Marine Coven exists. Don't look at it. To engage with the spiritually hungry. And today we're going to turn the corner and say that engagement is toward an end. It's so that we might all find together what? A life in Christ. Let's say all of that together. Ready? To engage with the spiritually hungry toward a life in Christ. One more time. Let's see if you can do it without looking. To engage with the spiritually hungry toward a life in Christ. That's our vision statement. That's our clear mission. That's the beginning of it. And we'll continue on as we go through this series. But last week, we just began to talk about this idea of engaging with the spiritually hungry. And the, the premise there is to focus on both, is to say that, that spiritually hungry, if you didn't hear my sermon last week, you can go online, it's, it's posted. The spiritually hungry, there's an assumption that every single one of us is spiritually hungry. That God has put it in the hearts of every man and every woman to long for him. And so uh, 
we're making this assumption that it's not an us and them. It's not a, you know, a have and have nots. It's all of us together are hungry for God. And that's primary to our vision is that we're going to be together in this process of being um, seeking and searching for more and more of God. So whether you know God a lot, whether you barely know God, whether you're brand new to this experience, we're all going to be together in this, in this group called the Spiritually Hungry. And Marin Covenant Church always exists for us to engage with one another on that, on that journey. That's not a false humility. It really is a belief that, man, the difference between the most mature, developed Christian in this room and someone who's at the beginning kind of in the span of eternity and perfection is actually pretty narrow. So we're all in this together trying to figure it out. So we're going to engage together. So the spiritually hungry, the engage part is that we're going to do that by, by uh, connecting with our lives. We're going, to, we're going to simply be with one another and be with other people who aren't even in this room yet. We're going to be with people on that journey. And where did we get that crazy idea? We got that idea from Jesus. Remember we looked at Matthew, I mean, sorry, Luke uh, chapter uh, 15 and this beginning of a, of a very famous passage, but there was this, it said now the tax collectors and the sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. Remember this? Tax collectors and sinners, I parsed that in the last sermon. This is the, basically, this is the idea of these are the outcasts. These are the enemies. These are the unlovely. These are the unrighteous. These are the people who aren't religiously got it together. This is the people who don't believe the way we believe, who don't act the way we act. It's, it means the others. It means the capital T, them. So the them out there, the Jesus is gathering those people around him to hear him. And the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, meaning the people who had it all together, the us, muttered, yep, that's negative, muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. And we just began the conversation to say that we got the idea of engaging with spiritually hungry people no matter where they were on their journey. You hear it? And we're going to walk with someone, meet them exactly where they are, and walk with them no matter where they are, because that's how Jesus engaged people on the spiritual journey. Well, we really can't, you guys, skip. We can't go further and not look at this idea that engaging with the spiritually hungry is toward a life in Christ. What's this phrase? Read this phrase with me again. Toward a life in Christ. That's, where, that's the reason we're engaging is that we're moving toward Christ because we believe that God has placed in the hunger in the heart of every human and we believe that that hunger is satisfied in finding him through Jesus. We believe that. And so we want to talk about both and how they relate today. In fact, I couldn't talk about one without the other. I can't talk about engaging with spiritually hungry people without talking about moving them closer and closer to Jesus. I can't talk about people finding a life in Christ without talking about the process by which we can engage with them in that process. There's, there, it's a circular thing. In fact, I was so confused that I got all the way to this morning and I still didn't know which part to preach first. It was a chicken and the egg. So this will be like the way Netflix is now showing new things. That it's, we're going to do an interactive. You can pick your ending. Okay, here we go. So you get one vote, and I'm going to give you two choices. One choice is, do we want to talk about the rest of the idea of engagement, what the nature of that engagement might look like for God's people? Or do you want to talk about the moving in toward a life in Christ and what that means, and then come back to talking about engagement? Got it? So do we want to talk about engagement first, and then where we engage in them toward? Or we want to talk about what we're shooting for, and then the nature of it? Got it? All right, one vote. Here we go. We're going to do whatever you guys want to do. Who says, let's talk about engagement first? Okay, and who says we want to talk about toward a life in Christ first? All right, you guys win. Here we go. All right, let me get. They're both going to get preached, so we're, we're there. We, we got both of them. 
So again, right, the idea is we can't talk about engaging in this process with people without talking about where we're moving them toward. Because here's the thing. I'm going to say it as clearly as I can say it. Okay, ready? Here I go. I'm going to say it as clearly as I can say it. Church, we're Jesus people. This is all about Jesus. We worship him. We exalt him. We believe he's the savior of the world. We believe he's the end of all of our longing. We believe that he is the way and the truth and the life. We believe in Jesus. So this is what we preach. And when I say that, this is, this, is, this is historical Christianity. This is apostolic Christianity, meaning it's from the apostles. This is orthodox Christianity, meaning it's what Christians have believed forever. I say all that because I don't want you to think that, you know, our little group started in 1985 when some woman went, came out of a cabin and had a vision and here we are, it's like a whole new religion. Like this is not what this is about. We're Jesus people. We believe in the Jesus of the scriptures that the church has always believed and worshiped. And that's the direction we're going is to help people move toward finding the life in Christ that he has designed for them. Is that, is that, is that clear? And I say that because it would be, a, it would be uh, counter to our purposes. It would be counter to the teaching of scripture. And it would not be loving if we engage with people on the journey, on their journey, but didn't help them discover who Jesus is. We're Jesus people. And so we're always, that's why this is at the center, that we're moving toward a life in Christ. That's where we're headed. There's a phrase that I wrote down today that I hope would might be helpful for you. This idea of what it looks like to move toward a life in Christ. It's that we're continually moving closer to Jesus. There's three phrases here and it's up on the screen. We're continually moving closer to Jesus with an ever-increasing awareness and acceptance that he brings abundant and eternal life. We're continually moving closer to Jesus. We're it's a continuum. That's why we talked about moving toward a life in Christ, that everybody is on a continuum, and everybody is spiritually hungry, so everybody, ready, can take one step further to finding their life and their identity in Christ. Everybody is on that journey. So that doesn't change for no matter who you are or how far on this sort of spectrum, if we had a spectrum, terrible idea, but if we had a spectrum of like, I'm so far from God and my wife, like she's way over there, she's way close to God. Like all of us are imperfect and we're still moving toward him, right? That's what we're doing. And we're moving toward finding our life in him. So we're continually moving closer to Jesus. Man, oh man, that right there might just be a word for some of you. Some of you kind of feel like, I kind of feel like I arrived, like I figured it all out. I knocked the big rocks out of the, like, you know, I stopped that or I started that and now I'm kind of there and I've understood everything. I haven't learned anything new in a long time and I've kind of, like, you may have never have said out loud, I kind of have arrived. I'm like, I'm all good. But you might be operating a little bit like that. Well, we're all continually moving toward Jesus because we're all spiritually hungry. And this is, so we're continually moving toward Jesus. Second, with an ever-increasing awareness and acceptance that life's found in him. You hear that? Ever-increasing awareness and acceptance. There's this, the, the, the will is growing in its understanding and it's embracing these truths that are outlined in here about how to be a follower of Christ, about how to live our lives for eternity, about, about what it is we, we uh, uh, are believing and, and living for. And so there's an ever-increasing awareness as we move toward a life in Christ. It's a... Um, 
uh, a growing understanding. But I don't want you to miss that second word there. There's, a, there's an ever-increasing awareness. And then what's that next word? And acceptance. Because there's this thing that happens. If, if, a, if a line or kind of a trajectory is a terrible analogy, I'll just, you know, I'll rub it in. But there's this, there is a place where along that trajectory, while we're all spiritually hungry and we're all moving one step closer to Jesus, there is a place though where we step over that line. There's a line in there somewhere and it's different for every person, but there's a line in there somewhere where we go, you know what? Like I, I'm a believer. Like I, I accept this. Like I've made a conscious choice to go. I don't understand everything, but I'm like, um, I'm in. And you've heard us talk about that many, many times. By the way, there's a sermon on the website from the last sermon series where I preached on the idea of conversion, which is one way to talk about that, that, that stepping over that line, that becoming a Christian. That it's a line that every single person is faced with along this journey, this hungry, spiritually hungry journey toward a life in Christ. There is also this acceptance where we step over that line. And that's embedded in that idea of a life in Christ, of coming to a place of of. Uh, awareness and understanding, but also acceptance. Like, no, oh, this is my thing. I'm in. Now, I know some of you don't know where that line is in your journey. Like, I totally get that. Some of you do. Some of you have a date, you know. Mine was in 1974. I don't have a date, but it was like February of 1974. And I, I know. Some of you are like, he's old. I know. A lot of makeup up here is how that works. <laughs> but some of you don't know how that date some of you don't know when that is. You're like, I'm coming along. I've been coming along toward. I've been, I've been continually moving closer to Jesus. And then one day I was like, if somebody kind of pushed me to be like, Jeff's like, have you settled the issue from up front when I was preaching? You know, I preached and have you settled the issue? And, some, and you're like, I think I have. <laughs> I think I've settled the issue. Yeah, that's part of moving toward Christ. That moment of conversion where we say, I'm a believer and I'm a Christ follower. So again, listen. We're engaging with spiritually hungry people no matter where they are on their journey, what they know, what they believe, what they understand, what, like, come on, like, let's, let's get on this journey together. But we're moving toward a life in Christ because we believe that that's what people were created to do is to have a relationship with him. And somewhere that increasing awareness and acceptance is stepping over that line and saying, no, he brings life as it was designed to bring. Look at that third line on there. He brings abundant and eternal life. And that's salvation through Christ. If some of that's new to you guys, if you're like, gosh, like I'm just beginning, like, you know, I'm hoping you would think that that was an okay way to be, kind of explain some of that. And if you're kind of at the beginning of your understanding of that, and you're like, I'm starting to get it a little bit. Listen, I want to invite you to 101, a class that I'm teaching on Wednesday night starting on February 6th. And it is basically going through this basic understanding of what that journey looks like, what that line looks like, and what the meaning of becoming a Christian is all about. And we call it 101 just for that reason, so we can keep it basic. And you will be in there with people who um, are honest about the fact that this is all new to me. And then you'll be in there with people who are honest about the fact that I've been around a while and I'm kind of embarrassed to admit that I need some simple explanation of what we got going here, okay? So you'll be uh, well, um, be in good company at that thing. So we're engaging with people toward a life in Christ. Jesus promised this. This is where we get this. Two verses I just put up. If you just Google Jesus, life in Jesus, you'll get a ton of verses. Here's two. One is uh, John 10.10 and John 14.6. Jesus said, I came that you may have life and have it to the fullest. In other words, we believe that Jesus has designed in a relationship with him as we move toward him, he's going to give us life as it was designed to be. 
We're going to become the beings that God designed us in his mind's eye for eternity to be. Life's found in him. The way to live life through its ups and downs is found in Christ. He said, I came that you might have life and have it to the fullest. So we're going to move toward that life that he has for us. The second verse says, Jesus also said, I'm the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through me. See, God made it so, the way so simple for us to recognize that through Jesus, we'll find the way and truth and life. And so that's our goal. It's where we're focusing. And so as we engage with one another, as we engage with spiritually hungry people, uh, uh, we're, we're going to say, let's move toward Christ together. By the way, if you want to go to the next level study on this idea of life in Christ, Google life in Christ. And you will get such great theology in there because there's two things that scriptures teach. It's not just about lifestyle. Like, don't read it just lifestyle. Like, he's going to give you the lifestyle you were designed to have or he's going to give you the joy or the happiness that you were designed to have or he's going to give you the morals you should live out. It's not just that, although it is that. Your daily experience of life with Jesus is life abundant. But it's also bigger than that. If you Google in him or in Christ, 160 times the New Testament talks about in Christ or in him or in the Lord. And there's this spiritual concept, two, two things that are mixed together. And what it means is that our whole identity, our whole supernatural existential reality of being Jesus people, once we've stepped over that line, is this, that Christ is in us and we are in Christ. Does that sound familiar to you, those of you that read the Bible? These are big concepts, and I can't, I can't, it's a whole year of my master's degree to talk about it right now. But I want you to know that, and I want you to look into it, that this idea is not just lifestyle, but it's toward being in Christ, meaning that we have received his salvation, and it's him being in us so that we've received his spirit. I say all this even as, a, as, a, as, a, as, a, as an educator, as a teacher, and I know that you're getting 1% of this, so I'm going to stop talking. But you got to go look at it because it's bigger than you think it is and more beautiful. 2 Corinthians 5.17, it's not on the screen. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. She's a new creation. The old's gone, the new has come. There's something spiritual and foundational that happens there, and we're moving people toward being in Christ. Galatians 2.20 says, I've been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ, anybody know the rest of it? Lives in me. 2 Corinthians 5 says, if anyone is in Christ, Galatians says, if Christ is in you. We have this supernatural relationship that we're moving toward together. We're Jesus people. Okay, shake your head like this and I'll move on if you're ready. Enough? That's why it's at the center. We're moving toward Christ. But how we do it is of such utmost importance, you guys. That's why we can't separate the two because we're going to engage with people toward that. We're going to walk with people. We're going to be in life with them toward that because that, that is how people come along on their spiritual journey when they have companions who walk with them and accept them. What do we say about Jesus' encounter with people? He met them where they were before they believed. He met where they were, right where they were in their unreligiousness. He met where, with them right where they were, even though they disagreed uh, with uh, the beliefs of, of the Jewish people around. He just walked with people. 
And that's what we're going to have to do. And we can't, I mean, there's no way that it would be a terrible mission statement to go confront the spiritually hungry people with a life in Christ. <laughs> Debate with the spiritually hungry people and win the argument so that they find life in Christ. Condemn the spiritually hungry people for not believing what you believe, right? We're going to walk with people because that's how people learn. That's how people come to faith in Christ. They come by having somebody walk the journey with them and embracing them right where they are. That's what Jesus taught us. And so how we engage with them is going to be of utmost importance. And so we're going to go back to Jesus' example in the last few minutes I have, the 10 minutes I have in this sermon, to talk about the nature of engaging with them toward a life in Christ. So go back to that passage in in Luke 15, if you would, and um, check it out with me. Jesus says, it says that the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around him. Three things I want to point out here. One, that they gathered around Jesus. He gathers them. He gathers these people. Jesus gathers people. And that's something that's going to be instructive for us. Mark, put that one up. He gathers them. They came around him. And, uh, and it means more than, than the English that sort of meets the eye. The text says that they gather around Jesus and he talked to them. The text means that they were attracted to him. They were drawn to him. The word means that they were captivated by him. Don't you love that? There was something going on in his interaction with them that drew them to him in this way. I love this phrase that, that you know, they were attracted to him and he was attractive in all the right ways. Not attractive in the shallow ways, not attractive in the Hollywood ways, not attractive in the culturally relevant ways that we all think of attraction, but in all the right ways that people were drawn, they were captivated to, by Jesus. There was something in the way that he spoke and lived and touched them and loved them, there was some way in which he did that, that people were drawn to him. Now think about the, what the opposite is, to be repelled by him. People were captured by him. And in the text that we were just looking at, the Luke 15 text, it wasn't the religious people that were drawn to him. It was people who shouldn't have been hanging out with a rabbi preaching a radical message of holiness and dedication to God. It was people who weren't even thinking that kind of stuff. They were still drawn to Jesus. That is a, that is a word for us. Is that going to be the kind of church that we can be, the kind of individuals that you can be, that we would be people who would live and speak and touch and love in ways that draw people to the life that we have in us, which is a life in Christ? Oh, man, I love that. And I love the freedom in that. Don't you love the freedom in that? The freedom in that to be God's people and to engage with people in such a way that they're drawn to who Jesus is. I wonder what it was about Jesus that made him so captivating to people. He healed blind people. That was cool. Like that drew people. He raised some people from the dead, like that'll get some attention. But I want you to know, you know, the reason Jesus did those miracles, the signs and wonders, was because he was fulfilling the prophecies of the Old Testament so that the Jewish people, God's chosen people, in the redemptive history that God was laying out, he was was confirming that he was in fact the Messiah. That's why those miracles happened. 
Now, you get to pray for people, and sometimes crazy stuff goes down, and it's awesome. But even without that happening, you can still be the kind of captivating, attractive people that make people long for the life that's in you. And I wonder what that was like about Jesus apart from the miracles. And I wonder, I, sometimes I think, you know, maybe it was that he was joyful and fun and the life of the party and dynamic and all that. And I don't, I, actually, I don't know that that's true. I mean, he could have been actually, you know, sort of a melancholy personality. I mean, he could have been the quiet, silent type. I don't know, right? I mean, he was on his way to the cross. It wasn't like, he, it, he may not have been that yay guy. So those of you that are like, I'm a super introvert, like, don't tell me to be the life of the party. I think what drew them to Jesus, if you read about every encounter Jesus had with people, he was about them. He was about them and their story. He was about them and what was happening within them. He was about engaging with their spiritual hunger, church. That's where we get this. He came in with his radar up, looking into people's eyes and saying, what is it that you long for me to do for you? Speaking into their lives, showing up in their midst, he was looking for how those spiritually hungry people could be connected with the life that he offered. He was about them. And I want to say that if we're going to be a church that follows in Jesus' example of gathering, being attracted Having being attractive in all the right ways, it's going to be because we're looking into people's journeys and making it about them out of love for them right where they are. You with me? What's happening with you and your spiritual hunger? What's happening with you and your children? What's happening with you and your longings? What's happening with you and your job? What are your fears? What are your dreams? What are your hopes? What about you? think that that doesn't happen. We're not attractive in all the right ways because sometimes our self-centeredness gets so overwhelming that we're not able to look into somebody else's story, to die to ourselves and to say, I want to love you where you are and what's happening with you. This may be a challenge for you this morning that you carry this one home. That thought of, am I attractive in all the right ways, regardless of what my personality is, regardless of how outgoing I am or verbal I am or shy I am? Or Are you a person who, when you walk into the room, instead of going, hey, here I am, it's about me, you walk into a room and you go, there, there you are. I'm with you. That's what engage means, to be with somebody. And you know the difference, don't you, over a lunch meeting, whether it's social or business, when somebody's like, here I am, or somebody's like, there you are. Jesus was a there-you-are person. That's our calling. I just want to tell you, some of you, you talk too much. You talk too much, and you talk about you too much. And you know what that feels like when you're across the table from someone, and you know they don't care about your story or your journey or your heart or where you are in that moment. And Jesus went to the cross and died for other people's needs and their stories. We can die to ourselves and be present for other people. Is that a word? Is that good? Isn't that encouraging, though? I hope that wasn't a hard word. That's just a good word. Well, except for the part where you talk too much. (laughs) But maybe you need to hear that, because if you do, you don't know that. So if the shoe fits. All right. He gathered people. He was attractive. 
That's our clear vision, friends. That's our clear vision. Second, not only he gather them, but he welcomes them. In this text in Luke 15, if you go back to the text in Luke 15, you see but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, what, why are these people around him? He welcomes sinners and eats with them. It's like they were muttering it like, can you believe it? Jesus welcomes these unrighteous people. These people who don't believe the way we believe. These people who don't think like we think. These people who are on the outside of, of, uh, of kind of who we are, this super us and them dynamic. Like, can you believe it? He welcomes them. And, and it was almost like Jesus was going to be like, I know, I know, I shouldn't do that. I'll get in line. But Jesus is like, nope, bingo. That's exactly what I do. And he goes on to tell these stories about how that's exactly what he does. As he goes out after the people who haven't pulled it together, he goes out after the people who don't believe all the things that he believes yet, who are in process of moving toward Christ. He welcomes sinners. He engages with people right where they are. That's such good news. And you can't overemphasize it enough that, it, that they, they said he welcomes sinners. And Jesus is like, yeah, I do. That word welcome, this is, I've taught this before. It may be a Greek word that you remember because I made you practice it. There's two words for welcome in the, in the scriptures. One word is dekomai. Dekomai means welcome, like you're welcomed. Like, like, like okay, you're, it's very formal. It's very, like, that's what you do in polite society. Like yesterday I went on a bike ride to Petaluma and I went to Pete's for a coffee partway through and I walked in there and I looked like a middle-aged guy in spandex who had just been on my bike for an hour like, you know, a little bit of snot, a lot of sweat, you know, spandex, the whole, the whole thing. And I walk up to the counter and I'm like, hi. And my hair's all jacked, stinky. And this woman was trying to do the protocol that you're supposed to do in retail or coffee shops where you're supposed to be welcoming. She decomied me, you guys. It was the basic level of like, hi. I mean, and I tried to win her. I mean, you know, you guys know my personality. Like, I'm a wooer. Like, I'm like, instinctively, all my alarms go off. I'm like, here we go. Going to win this person. <laughs> Couldn't do it. Got my latte, paid my money. She didn't say anything. I'm like, she didn't say, you want a receipt? You want it? There's nothing. She's looking at me. And I'm like, wow, I must be having a bad day because this is not okay for her. So I'm like, thank you. And she's like, deco my. That's what decomai means. You're welcome. That's what I'm supposed to do. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law came along and they said, this man doesn't decomai people, which would have been bad enough. They go, this man prosdecomies them. Say prosdecomai. That means this man is going ahead, pros, going ahead to decomai them. He's longing to decomai. He's been anticipating welcoming them. He's been waiting for for, to welcome them. He's been looking forward to welcoming them. It's this anticipation and longing and wanting to do it. That's what he does. He prost, he goes, this, this Jesus, not only does he deco my people, he prost decomize these people. He's sitting on the edge of his chair looking for nothing more in that day than to welcome these people who don't have it all together yet. That's what Jesus did. He prost deco people exactly where people are right now. I've been on the edge of my chair waiting and anticipating for how I can embrace you and engage you in your journey right where you are right now to look into your eyes and make it about you and your heart. That's what prosdecomai means. And, and to clear that up, Jesus told some stories following that in the rest of the chapter. And one of them is the chapter of the prodigal son who made the worst choices ever, dishonored his father. There's nothing in that story that would make anybody feel for him. You would just think, what a scumbag. But the story ends with the father who apparently 
has been prosdecomying, waiting, anticipating, longing for the day when his son would round the corner and make his way up the dirt lane so that the father could kick off his sandals and run and embrace him and kiss him and give him back his full share of the estate. In case they didn't get it, Jesus told a story that offended their sensibilities, that the father had been waiting and going ahead to prosdecomai, the worst sinner. That's us as a church. That we're going to engage in a way that not only gathers and attracts people in all the right ways, but that welcomes them with open arms. That welcomes them exactly where they are, right in their journey, with their non-religious views, with their religious views, with their pain, with their brokenness, with their sin, with their disobedience to scriptures and what we believe, to their disagreeing with what the scriptures teach and that we've adopted as our theology, our orthodox theology, that we're going to say, come see Christ. Come, welcome. We've been waiting. We've been on the edge of our chair waiting to welcome you on the journey. And they're like, okay, well, well, is it okay if I'm doing this in my life? And we'll be like, come seek Jesus. Let's move toward Jesus together. And they're like, okay, but is it all right if I don't believe that? And we'll go, come seek Jesus with us. And they'll say, but okay, well, will you affirm that I believe this? And we'll be like, come seek Jesus with us. We're going to move toward Christ. We're solid in what we believe, friends, and we're going to teach it in and out every single Sunday. You know that. But we got to welcome people on the journey where they are so they can help move with us. You with me? Prost decomai. That's our clear vision. And last, and i got to just do this briefly, he eats with them, it says. The text in Luke chapter 15 says the Pharisees said this man welcomes them and he eats with them. That was not just like, you know, he had a lunch appointment. I mean, this is, a, this is a formal invitation to be in another person's life. This is table fellowship. To, to, to be invited into a Jewish home was to say, my life and your life are now merging. Your journey and my journey are coming together. We're going to be in fellowship together about what this thing is, about this life journey that we're on together. And, and, and pious Jews were not allowed to invite non-pious people who are outside the religious mainstream who didn't believe what they believed yet, who were still on the path toward a life with God. They weren't allowed to have those people in their homes. And you know what Jesus did is he kept inviting himself over to their houses. So it wasn't just like, well, that was kind of rude. We didn't really have anything prepared. It was way more than that. It was a giant statement to everybody else that I'm in the journey with them. I'm in their lives. I'm inviting them that our lives together would be engaged, that we would be embraced Will that be us, you guys? Will that be our church living lives of such meaningful participation with other people's lives? This is a hard one to hear at 1159. I know it because we're so overwhelmed. Every one of us has such good intentions of inviting those people over for dinner or grabbing those people for a double date or getting some time, some coffee with that person. All of us have great intentions. But I'm telling you that the clear vision of our church is that we'll gather people, we'll welcome them, but we got to eat with them. We got to have our lives' journeys mesh so that we know their hopes and their dreams and their fears and their pain and their beliefs and their spiritual hunger and the names of their children. Like we need to engage with people or they'll never move toward a life in Christ. It's not how people come to find Jesus by just believing willy-nilly. They come because we've connected with them and walked with them 
and then they find him. In fact, a little graphic for you right here. This is how most churches in the Western world have done it, is that we've asked people somehow to believe. They somehow come up with this belief, and then as they believe, then they, we say, okay, good, you believe the right stuff. Now, now I want you to behave the right way. I want you to become the person that we need you to become. You've got to kind of carve all that junk out of your life that isn't consistent with a life in Christ. So believe and then become, and then, by the way, then you can belong. Then you can be part of us. You can be, as opposed to being a them, you're an us now. That's how many of our religious systems have been built up. But that's not original Christianity. That's not original Christianity. And that's not even middle age, early middle age Christianity. The Celtic Christians in, in like the fifth century and the ones who, who brought Jesus to all of Ireland and then sent missionaries all over the world, those people invited people to come and belong first. They invited them into their community. Listen, and they didn't say, good, we'll absorb all of your wacky beliefs or your stuff that isn't consistent with scripture or whatever. They, they said, come be a part of our practices and our beliefs. Come and seek Jesus with us. So they belonged first to their community. And then after they belonged, they would come to believe. Studies show, and most of your stories will tell that, there's a sense of belonging connection to people of faith before belief takes hold. And then we can become all that God has for us to be. Okay, I'm out of time. You get why these are together? We're going to engage with people just like Jesus, gathering them, welcoming, prosdecomying them, and then being in life with them. And the end of all that will be that we and they will find all that Jesus has for us. Life, abundant and eternal. Do you want to be that? What would it take for you personally to engage people toward Christ? Or toward Christ to engage them in that process? That's our clear vision as a church. May God speak to us about how we live that out in ways that bring glory to him.